Hey, it's Patrick here. And just quickly before we get going, I want to ask you to do us a favor. We're a new podcast and we need to get the word out. We'd really appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate and review us. The review doesn't need to be more than a sentence or two. Getting the word out means more listeners, more episodes, more thanks from us to you. That's it. On with the show. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Patrick, I want you to meet Sun Michelle. Today I want to talk to you about the Gullah word ga, which is used as a verb, a noun, an adjective, sometimes preposition. Go down the road there and tell your brother I said to come here. Go down the road there and tell your brother I said to come here. What are you going to do? Okay, so tell me what we're hearing here. So Sun Michaud has been teaching the Gullah Geechee language at Harvard University since 2017. And he also makes these short videos for social media. Because? Well, not everyone can make it to Harvard to study a language that, as far as anyone I've spoken with knows, isn't being taught anywhere else in the world. Uh, but Sun Michaud's videos also serve other purposes. Like show that it's a rule-based language. Show how it works. Sometimes we know the language, but the inability to be able to explain it or describe it to one another is hindering our ability to be able to pass it on. Ah, right, so there's a concern about passing it on. It's primarily an oral language, so for a long time it wasn't even considered a language. And Gullah has a complicated history, so a lot of people outside of the small part of the southeastern coast of the U.S. where it's spoken don't know much about it. I have conversations with people sometimes, and they'll be like, hey, what do you do? I teach the Gullah language. The Gullah language, what country is that? Is that Africa or, you know, where is that? And um, they have no idea that there's a whole community, a whole culture, a whole language system that's indigenous to this country, like right underneath their noses. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, stories about languages and the people who speak them. What's it like to be the first person to teach a language created by enslaved Africans? And what does that mean now, during the 400-year anniversary of the start of slavery? Today, the story of the Gullah Geechee language is told by native speaker Sun Michaud. I feel like I know a little bit about this language, but not very much. So, so what is Gullah Geechee and why is it sometimes Gullah and sometimes Gullah Geechee? So Gullah and Gullah Geechee, they're used interchangeably. You know, Gullah is a bit like Old English and then Geechee is kind of like the modern version of it. But Sun Michaud has a different way of describing it. Gullah is a language, it is a culture and a people. Now, of course, that's Gullah Geechee are the same people. In most instances, it depends on the region of where you're from as to whether or not you identify as Gullah or Geechee. Like, say, for example, in Sepulo Island or in, in Georgia, they may identify as Geechee and speak Gullah, whereas we may identify as Gullah and speak Gullah or Gullah and speak Geechee or Geechee in a sense of our identity. And the language comes from enslaved West Africans who were brought by force to these insulated islands and coastal areas of what's now the Carolinas, Georgia, and northern Florida. And that area, it's now known as the Gullah Geechee National Heritage Corridor, but people just call it the corridor. So originally, this is a language that was spoken by enslaved people who 
came speaking different West African languages. And who came up with this amalgam of those languages plus English in order to communicate with one another and with white slave owners. And it's been sustained over the course of hundreds of years by their descendants, people like Sun, for whom Gullah is his first language and, quote, standard English is his second language. What we have today is a rule-governed language. It is essentially the receipt of, or the evidence of, our lineage. In, He's in also a self-described word nerd. Like, my, you know, Mama would watch her uh, stories, or soap operas as they were. Growing up, and I would be home uh, with Mama during the day before I started school. So I'd be home watching stories with Mama during the day. And I remember this, <laughs> I remember this one time watching, uh, I believe it was Young and the Restless. And Miss Chancellor said to, like, Victor Newman, she was like, you know, uh, oh, Victor, don't be so gauche. And in my mind, I was like, ooh, that sounds like a really, <laughs> you know, I, I want that one. Like, mm. I would just hear these these words, and that one sounded like a really good one, especially the way that she used it. It just sounded spicy. And I'm like, man, I'm going to use that word. I don't know how, but I know I'm going to use it. And it's just amazing that sometimes a thing is, is staring you right in the face the entire time and you don't know it. You're teaching before you realize that's what you're doing. You're in, in, in studying before you realize that that's what you're doing. Peace, this is Sun Michaud, Gullah teacher at Harvard University. And today I want to talk to you about intensifiers in the Gullah language. And those intensifiers would be up, down, and back. Intensifiers are words that are used to show emphasis, like really or very. Say, for instance, that boy, they fool. That boy's crazy. That boy, they fool up. That boy is very crazy. That boy, they fool up down. That boy is extremely nuts. He domin out. These would be examples of utilizing the words up and down in order to be able to show emphasis, but there's also back. What's wrong with that boy? They poking him out up mad back. What is wrong with that boy right there? He's pouting a lot and seems very angry. And so there you have it. A few intensifiers in the Gullah Geechee language, up, down, and back. Until our next time, we out ya. So if you're hearing Gullah Geechee for the first time, you may recognize some of what he's saying is English, because Gullah is considered to be an English-based Creole. Of course, it's right there in the name, an English-based, meaning that you have some foundation of English that are components into this language. So yeah, that's, that's going to be there. But there comes a point when speaking Gullah, you diverge from English altogether and use a different set of grammatic rules of how you should present this phrase. You're no longer playing by standard English rules. There may be some standard English influence, but at the same time, there are many other languages that have things in common, and no one says that those one the existence of one makes the other illegitimate. No one says that the existence of, of Portuguese makes Italian or Spanish illegitimate. Okay, I feel like I'm getting a sense of this now. But what about a written version? Is there any written version of it? There's no standardized way of writing it. And that gets at this whole conundrum. The people who decide what's a language have long said, well, Galagichi is not written, so it's not a real language. But the very conditions under which people came up with it meant that they couldn't write it down. Literacy was, was literally criminalized. An enslaved person to be punished with brutality on to death for being literate or teaching others to read. The miracle of Gullah Geechee language is that it managed to be created and preserved over the course of generations, largely without the assistance of a literary foundation, without 
being taught in a structured environment. And you ask yourself, well, what is indigenous to this country? English is not indigenous to this country. English was brought over to this country. Gullah, on the other hand, was not brought over wholly to this country. You have people who speak different languages who created this language here. So while Gullah is uniquely African in a sense that it has preserved much of its Africanness from the many different components, African components that came together, the coming together occurred here. It's as African as it is, it is something that's indigenous to the American land in regards of its identity. I cannot deny the enslavement and cannot deny the brutality and the things that came along with being, us being forced to create this language, this culture, and, and become this people. But at the same time, we're not defined by that. That was not our doing. It's a, a beautiful thing that was not born of beauty. After the break, confronting the shame of Galagichi. Subtitle is a proud member of Hub and Spoke. It's a collective of energetic, idea-driven podcasts, including The Lonely Palette. If you've ever stood in front of a work of art and wondered why you love it or hate it, The Lonely Palette is for you. In each episode, host Tamar Avishai takes a well-known painting or sculpture or photograph and tells you the story behind it. Not like a fine arts lecture, more like a well-informed good friend. So, for example, in the latest episode, Tamar compares the size of a Flemish Renaissance painting to two and a half MacBook Pro screens and certain details in the painting to the size of M&Ms. And there's the occasional Yiddish word thrown in, which we at Subtitle are total suckers for. Check out The Lonely Palette and all of the Hub and Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. There are many people who are of Gullah cultural heritage. I know that First Lady Michelle Obama has family from the same region, but then there are people like Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. He's from the corridor, and he's the most silent justice that's ever sat, and the person who keeps his literal voice to himself more often than not. Um, and it is believed that that is a practice that began earlier in his life as a result of the stigma of his Gullah Geechee way of speaking. So Sun is pretty opposite politically to Clarence Thomas, but there is an empathy there when he talks about the stigma that Thomas grew up with and why it would keep him quiet. Hmm. So, so is that something that Sun has had to grapple with as well? It is. But I don't think I wear the stigma like I used to. It just used to feel like this thing that you could feel on your skin that you would carry with you when you spoke a certain way that you knew would not be accepted by the people around you. And now, not so much. And, well, not at all, really. I think that I've, I've done as much as I can to liberate myself from that feeling. And a part of what I've wanted to do probably my whole life is to not make it a, my language about the stigma, to not have my language constantly judged in the proximity of whatever someone thought of it. Instead of dealing with whether or not Gullah is broken English, let's deal with the broken ideology that came up with that idea in the first place. Oh, we're all this morning. Oh, we're all this morning. Oh, I don't drink coffee or anything like that to kind of um, get me up, but what really gets me alert in the morning is music. 
And one of my favorites, of course, is Ranky Tanky. Here's Sun on his way to his office at Harvard. They take these traditional Gullah songs and poems and, and um, you know, games that kids play, like these hand drive games that kids play, and they convert them into these really cool, spiritual, rootsy, Gullah, jazzy, fusion, you know, sort of blend of music. If you cannot get up for this in the morning, you should just stay in bed. Just, just call in sick, stay in bed, if this can't get you up. Here I am going to this place uh, where I'm teaching this language that was considered to be unteachable, that has not been given the recognition that it always deserved and is now finally beginning to get that recognition. So, Kavi, how did Sun end up at Harvard? Sun isn't a traditional linguist, and he didn't get to Harvard the way most language instructors do. Harvard was already interested in offering Gala and just didn't have a teacher. So there was a grad student who wanted to take the language, and who knew Sun who made that introduction? Teaching Gala at Harvard is an honor and a privilege for reasons that sometimes people don't think of at first. The first thing that people come that comes to people's mind is usually, oh yeah, well, you know, teaching dog walking at Harvard would be an honor and a privilege because it's Harvard, you know? But that's not what I mean. Teaching my language anywhere is an honor and a privilege because of the history that academia has had in Gullah Geechee communities. The history has been that we were not welcome in those spaces. The history is that we were seen as broken, that we were seen as bad. We were vanquished from those spaces. We were thought to be undeserving of being in these classrooms. A language that was at one point in time thought to be undeserving to be spoken in any classroom is being taught in the classrooms of such an esteemed institution of education. Even Gullah Geechee people are sometimes surprised when I say something like, um, it's final exam period and, and this is what, what I'm going through during the finals. And they'll say, wait, you're giving a, a finals? Like, uh, yeah. So we have homework, we have tests, we have quizzes, we have a midterm, we have a finals period. We, we do all of that. It's literally a class. We're not just sitting around doing like drum circles and, and pouring out libations or whatever. Like we're not, just, we're not just doing that. It's literally a class that's held to the same standard as any other language class. Someone asked me, you don't think at some point in time the hype is going to wear off and it's just going to be normal? And I'm like, you know what? That would actually be an achievement if at some point in time people just shrug their shoulders about Gullah being a language class at Harvard because normalization is more powerful than exceptionalism. There's a really academic discussion about the language that fascinates me. I get to really get down into the grammar and the components and, and you know, explaining which one of these is used for past, present, 
you know, future tense, which one is the present progressive. That's a part of what was missing from the conversation all along about Gullah. It was always thought that this was an unteachable language. It was broken English. And none of those rules really applied because it was not a rule governed language. So being able to have that type of intellectual discussion about this language at this this institution that's regarded as one of the premier educational institutions in the world, to me, is very validating and it feels very purposeful for me. And it is also the thing that made way for me to be able to teach Project Teach courses for seventh graders because this came first and opened that door. So what is that, Project Teach? Project Teach is this collaboration between Harvard and local schools. And for middle school kids who may not be sure that college is for them, they get a chance to visit Harvard and it allows them to envision college as part of their future. We also typically drop the, um, the H so that mouth would sound like moat. Teeth, ride, shut your moat. That's exactly, well, I'm not telling you to shut your mouth. I'm saying you're right. That's what it, <laughs> exactly. And teeth would sound like teat. So, in my, you know, two teeth in emote. So if you sit up, the, the baby have two teeth in emote. It is definitely a different That's experience right. teaching seventh graders than teaching people at, at, you know, students at a university level. The energy is higher. It's more unpredictable. They're, they're very invested at seventh grade and, and they want to know, how do you say this? Or how do you say that? And it, it's really, really, really fascinating and rewarding for me because I remember being that age. I remember being that age and not having someone like me in my class to help normalize the way that I sounded. When I was a kid, like I just got into mythology really heavy. I was told the story of Icarus, the boy who flew too close to the sun with wax wings and fell to his demise as a warning for getting out of my place. And I remember thinking that it was not Icarus, but Prometheus that was more applicable to where I was. Here's this character that was warned by the gods, do not give mankind fire. It would allow them to do too many things for themselves without being dependent on us. And he did it anyway. And of course he was punished for it. He was he ended up strapped to a, a stone and perpetually eaten by a vulture for eternity. And he was satisfied in his suffering that it was worth it. Just knowledge, education was denied the Gullah Geechee people. And so to me, being able to provide that light, a thing that was thought to be something that could be weaponized and used against the oppressor for our own liberation, yeah, that is absolutely something that I wholeheartedly embrace and accept. Finding that flame, keeping that flame lit, and passing the torch from generation to generation. And if I can be any small part of that, then I'm all in. What does the future look like for Gullah Geechee? And, and teaching it at Harvard, I mean, what kind of difference does that make? Well, like so many languages that are spoken by few people, and in this case, in an insulated part of the country, it's kind of precarious. Nowadays, you have things like gentrification, and because the corridor is made up of low coastal land and islands, they're already grappling with climate change, which could eventually displace people, which would then make it even more difficult to sustain the language. But Gullah is 
a culture, a people, and a language. There's the hope that because it's being taught at Harvard, the doors might open for it to be taught elsewhere, like in the corridor itself. Sun has a more poetic take on this question, and his hope is for speakers of the language, quote, to be free to be. Listening to Sun, especially during this anniversary of slavery, it makes you think about the reckoning of it. Gullah Geechee is part of the story of slavery, part of how we remember it, how we reckon with it. It's pretty clear Americans don't agree on the end result of that, whether it's affirmative action, criminalizing discrimination, or even reparations. Whatever the reckoning is, it probably starts with an apology, an acknowledgement of exploitation and loss. Apologies, of course, can be small-minded, even manipulative, but they can also be profound. They can open doors to much more. Maybe we should do an episode on the language and meaning of apologies. That's a great idea. But you know what? There's a podcast that is only about apologies. It's called The Hardest Word, and I really recommend it. There are apologies, big and small, mainly from people you've never heard of, and they tend to be heartfelt, like a Rwandan man who apologizes for not having saved a neighbor's life during the genocide there, or a Canadian woman who apologizes to the kid of a friend who she fell out with. The Hardest Word. Check it out. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks to Alina Simone, Tess Rademacher, and Carol Zoll. Like Patrick said at the top of the podcast, if you like what you heard, please give subtitle a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Twitter at LingoPod. That's the best way to get in touch with us if you have story ideas or comments or criticisms. And we'll be back with another episode in the new year. Thanks for listening. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke, Audio Collective.